Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. He is a responsive God. He's in charge and he initiates, but he is a very responsive God. And he's responsive to the praise of his people. He's responsive to the heart of his people given to him. If you're here last week, you heard me share my testimony about uh, probably one of the most radical encounters I've had with the Lord. And it was a little vulnerable for me to do that. But um, I felt like it's just a shift that God wants to do in the church is, well, it's what he made us for. But we need a shift from operating in just administrative motion to hearts of genuine worship that are part of us or our life would become truly comfortable with being the bride of Christ. And I just shared, if you didn't hear that testimony, I just encourage you guys to get that and uh, see that. You can watch that online. But I had this experience where the Lord was really showing me how he wanted all parts of me, all the broken parts of me to be really healed and brought into wholeness. And that was what he made his bride to be. Like that's who you and I are made to be is whole. And as we bring that wholeness to him, that is his bride. He doesn't want to leave a part of us outside of the experience with him. He wants all of us. And he wants to bring all of us into the holy of holies to worship him and be in eternal fellowship with him. And one of the things that I had struggled with in my life, and I shared this in my testimony, was just the separation of the sin in my life with the shame connected to that sin. And God helped me in that encounter see that my shame, when I separate my shame from my sin, then my sin can now be a testimony to everyone around because of what Jesus has done with my sin. When he forgave my sin, and there was these two pillars that I, the Lord had uh, shown me that my flesh, or the testimony of my flesh, which is sin, The testimony of your flesh is sin, right? Usually isn't doing much of good stuff, right? It's kind of disruptive. Was these towers, these pillars actually, that are on the outside of the holy place that look down on the brazen altar. And they are a testimony to what Jesus did on the brazen altar. They look right down on it. And that's what I want to talk about today is there was a moment when I was there and I was struggling with this interaction I have with Jesus and him separating me from my sin, from my shame. And he pointed to the altar, the brazen altar, where he had paid for it. And he said, is my blood not enough? Come on. He's like, I want you to look over there. That's what I paid so that you could be separated for this, the, the shame in your sin. And we can go in and you can be my bride. So on, on the brazen altar, that's what I want to talk about today. I felt the Lord just laid on my heart, and Zach and I were talking about this as, as we are just seeking God about where are we supposed to go to kind of finish this series or never finish it or just keep going, whatever the Lord's doing. Um, and it was just about what God did for the Israelites and the brazen altar and then what he did for us as a church, as believers now today in his new covenant. And one of the cool things about the brazen altar is it's actually where the people of Israel, the children of God, would bring all of their needs. They actually came in and they brought 
all of their needs through many different types of offerings and sacrifices. And that's where God met all of their needs, was right at the brazen altar. And this is what Jesus has done for you and I. And this is what we need to understand, is the fullness of what Jesus did for us at the brazen altar, which is the cross. The cross of Jesus is the altar of altars. All altars point to the cross. Everyone was fulfilled in the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, his blood spilt down. It run, ran down, and it actually ran onto the altar in heaven, the brazen altar in heaven, where it paid for our sin. In fact, it ran into a bowl where they caught the blood. And Jesus himself caught his own blood, guys. This is what I really believe happened because the priest was the one when they would do the sacrifice on the brazen altar, they would pour, it would pour out into a bowl. Then they would, from that bowl, they would sprinkle the altar and then they would put it on the horns of the altar. And then the priest, once a year, would carry that blood into the Holy of Holies and apply it to the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant for the forgiveness of all sin. And Jesus died on the cross, and that blood ran out, and it was caught into a bowl. And maybe the father caught it, and he handed it to Jesus. I don't know what happened. But the, the amazing thing is on the brazen altar, there's a grate in this brazen altar. That brazen altar grate is lifted up one and a half cubits high, which is the exact same height as the mercy seat. And Jesus took that blood... And he, he took it and he walked it in himself and applied it to the mercy seat on our behalf. Hallelujah. Yeah. Come on, he did this for all eternity, for every sin and every person to meet every single need, guys. Every single need. And I just imagine Jesus himself, this is why when he was going to the cross, and we always talk, this is some bad doctrine, guys, that needs to be obliterated, is that, that our sin and our shame nailed Jesus to the cross. That is garbage theology. It did not happen. It says that he, no one sent him to the cross but himself. It gave him joy to go to the cross because he was imagining how joyous and how glorious the celebration would be when he carried that bull of his own blood, not someone else's blood. See, when they offered the sacrifices, they would bind the, the offering and, and they would bind it to the four horns of uh, of, this, of the brazen altar because this, the, the, the sacrifices were unwilling. But Jesus was willing. He didn't have to be bound. He laid himself on the cross, on the altar for us. He went there and it gave him joy because in his mind, his eyes were fixed on that moment when he would show up in eternity and grab that bowl and carry it to the eternal mercy seat. And can you imagine the angels and the beings in heaven, what they were doing when he was carrying that bull to the mercy seat. They were going bananas. It was the celebration of all celebrations. Because all of us would then have access into the holy of holies. And our sins would be forgiven forever forever. 
As far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness, our sins will be lost and thrown away and never remembered again. When Jesus sees you, he sees the mercy seat. When he sees you, he thinks about the sacrifice he made. He does not see your sin. That is a lie, I believe, from the pit of hell that has caused us to feel shame when we come to the presence of God rather than his glory and his love and his forgiveness and his passion for us. He has a passion so great for us that he went to the brazen altar and he gave up his whole life and everything so he could have that moment to walk it in before the Father and all the angels and pay the price. The one price for all. It took an eternal being to pay an eternal price. And Jesus was that eternal being. He was God. Fully man and fully God. It's one of the most amazing things. No, it is the most amazing thing that we can understand or know that has ever happened. Is it the most? I don't know. God could have done cooler stuff than that that we don't know about. But for us, this is the most awesome and coolest thing that God could have ever done and we could ever understand. But we're supposed to bring everything to him, not just some things. And we find in the brazen altar that they did sin offerings and guilt offerings. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to hit you with a whole bunch of scripture now to prove to you what I'm saying is right. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.15. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we come to the brazen altar, when we come to the cross of Jesus, we're to bring all of our guilt and all of our sin. Of all the things you ought to bring to Jesus, it ought to be all your guilt and all your sin. Just run in there and lay it at his feet, guys. Uh, Romans 8 says that there's no condemnations for those who are in Christ Jesus. You must be in him. Jesus, you are God. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are the Lamb of God who was slain for my sin, and it's eternal, and it's paid for. When you believe that, and there is no shame when you go in. See, like, even the steps were designed. In the, in the tabernacle and in the other altars, there were not allowed to be any steps up to the brazen altar so that people, the priests, would not experience shame when they went to go off, make the offering. And so the way that the altar in the uh, uh, temple was designed was so that there would be no shame when they went in there. 
Jesus is separating you from the power that shame has over our life to keep us from his presence. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. You don't have to be because he is. But you and I have to bring it to him. Every single stinking thing. And you have to get used to your shame freaking out. Like shame is going to like, you're like, you're not going to like it. Your flesh does not like that it has failed. Anybody here, you're like, I love it. that If you are shameless, you are godless. Shamelessness is godlessness. But you need to be separated from the power of shame over your life to keep you from God's power moving in your life. To be separated from the shame is that God, I don't care if I screwed it all up. Here it is. Throw it all on the altar. Burn it up. Let it be a testimony for you. Purify me. God, I never want to do that again. I never want to disappoint you again. But God, when I do, I'm going to run here and I'm throwing it right on this altar. And let your eternal fire burn it up. See, the thing is, is he's already burned it up. But he wants us to bring it to him. When we come to him, we come to him with every need. And guilt... And sin, guys, is one of the biggies. We got to bring all of our guilt and our shame to his brazen altar. God, you love, thank you, you love me anyway. Just shove it up in there. When you put it in there, you have to know there's a direct connection to the mercy seat. Because there's a trail of Jesus' blood. As he's holding that, he's spilling little bits out. Bloop, bloop, bloop. As he went all the way into the mercy seat, there was plenty. And he applied all that was needed to the mercy seat. When you put, when you see the brazen altar, you see mercy. That's what we all experience. But we have to bring it to him. And in that, we are made, we are made right or reconciled with God. And in that being made right... We now become a testimony and we're called to share that same thing that God did for us with others as if we are his ambassadors. The beacon of hope for others. You know what the thing people need most in is to know that in the midst of their failures and all of the problems in their life that there's mercy. There's real love and acceptance not based on what we've done but what God has done for us. Not that we would earn it, but that we would be loved by what he earned. Guys, we have to start sharing our testimony of what God has truly done for us. He didn't save a bunch of perfect people. He saved us. Not so we'd be perfect, but be made perfect. Not so we'd be pure, but we would be made pure. Not that we would be holy, but we would be made holy, and then we'd have the ability to actually live holy, which is a miracle in itself. But if we don't continuously bring our sin to that altar, we'll never experience real righteousness, living right before God. You're fully forgiven, but he wants you to bring it to him. Because it increases, it enhances your relationship with him and it causes you to move into the deeper things of God and be set free from the power of sin that leads to death. 
The sin leads to death. And when we hang on to it, we hang on to the shame. When we bury it, we increase the shame in our life. But when we offer it up, we get set free and separated from the power of that shame that controls our life. But the Israelites would also offer burnt offerings, which is a complete dedication and surrender to God. The burnt offerings were a complete dedication and surrender to God. Zach, two weeks ago, preached an amazing message about dedication to God and that creating an altar of dedication. This happened on the brazen altar is they actually would make dedication offerings to God. And God wants you to dedicate your life, your kids, your stuff, your jobs, your households, everything you have to him. And when it all belongs to him, no one can take anything from you. And when no one can take anything from you, your fear of what would be lost goes virtually away. And this is how the early disciples lived bold lives is because they didn't care even about any of their stuff or any money or all that. When he asked the rich young ruler to give up all his money, the rich young ruler went, he was afraid of who would provide for him if he gave it all and entrusted it all to Jesus. He's like, how am I going to do this? He's like, "Eh, exactly. That's the point. Is it your whole life is dedicated as a burnt offering to him. And in Ephesians 5.1, it says that's holy and acceptable and pleasing to him. And in fact, in Romans, we'll read, it's Romans 12.1, but read Matthew 26.39. Going a little farther, this is Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, but as you will. Even Jesus himself, gave up his whole will as a fragrant burnt offering to the Lord. Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Think about this. Look at the connection between mercy and the brazen altar. We offer our lives up as living sacrifices, and that's connected to the mercy seat. Do you see that? as a living sacrifice, in view of God's mercy, in view of his mercy, you think about it, you're looking in from the brazen altar, looking all the way into the holy of holies because it's all open now, you can see the mercy seat. In view of that mercy, looking at the sin, I offer my life up on the brazen altar and I look all the way in and I'm gonna go in, I'm going, there's the mercy of God right there for me. It's pretty awesome. But I'm telling you, God is looking for a dedicated burnt offering, and it's your whole life. That's hard to do. And typically, in my experience, that happens sort of one piece at a time. Stuff, easy things. I remember when I first got saved, my whole life was all about football. I just ate, slept, dreamed, breathed football. I trained all the time. And it was all I wanted to do was go play college football and just go as far as I could. It's just who, it's who I identified really as before I got saved. And I weight trained and lifted and I was all conference and all state and blah, 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 all this stuff that means nothing. And when I got saved within two weeks, I still had never even opened a Bible and read it. Jesus said, I didn't make you for football. And it was so amazing. And I know this is what happened. I just like went up to the brazen altar and I just like, 
plopped all that football gear in there. And I was like, I'm done. And my heart for, I played football that year, but it was like, everybody's like, what happened to Tanner? He's just fun now. I'm like, I'm not living for this anymore. And a lot of other people were happy that I was not living for football anymore because I just wanted to hurt everybody. I thought hurting people was fun for some reason. The Lord's just like, just drop that in there for me. He said, I made you for something more than that. And it was so easy. I couldn't believe actually how easy it was for me to give that up. Other things have been harder. As I've gone deeper into things in my heart and my life that I've dedicated my life to that the Lord's saying, no, I didn't make you for that, Josh. If you don't give that up, especially the control, guys. If you and I do not give up the control that causes us to feel safe, we will never experience what it's like to live a fully dedicated, burnt offering life on the, on the brazen altar. But God's asking us to live, give it all up. Throw it all in there. Chuck it all in there. First our guilt, then our sin, then our life. You're like, oh my gosh, serving Jesus is crazy. Yeah, jam it all up on that altar and let it burn. It's the same height as the mercy seat where the glory of God falls. If you want to experience the glory of God, you've got to give up your life. Then they would do uh, grain offerings. These offerings were given to God in thankfulness. And I think about, even last week we were talking about the woman with the alabaster jar. It's found in more than one place, but in Matthew 26, 6 through 10, you can look there. And Jesus said, as after the disciples and stuff were criticizing this woman for pouring out this really ex expensive perfume over Jesus and anointing him for his death and burial, he said, what she did is a good thing, and it's going to be remembered throughout all history. Everywhere the gospel is preached, they're going to remember this thank offering that she poured out on me. Your thankfulness makes a mark. Your thankfulness leaves a sweet-smelling aroma in the room of God's presence. And it's an offering that God wants you to bring to him in thankfulness. In fact, when he healed the, the seven lepers, six or seven lepers, seven lepers? Ten lepers? Why am I thinking six, seven? Seven's such a good number. Okay, ten lepers. He heals all the lepers, right? And he runs out, and the only one comes back? Okay. And he praised him for his thankfulness. He goes, where are all the other ones? It's not kingdom life to not be thankful. It weirds Jesus out. He's like, what are you doing? They're all like, that's awesome. I deserve that. It just makes my, the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I even think I often like that with Jesus. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. Just run back to him and thank him. Uh, if you haven't seen the last episode of The Chosen, I know I'm plugging The Chosen all the time. I'm not going to do a spoiler alert, but what I love how they show the people who knew Jesus or knew him and they loved him, how when they got healed, I wanted to hug Jesus. But they just run and they hug him and they thank him. They, they get healed and they run back to him. The leper ran back to him. This is the thank offering that God wants from his people. Every single thing he's done for you, you, you go up there and you put it in that fire that's burning eternal. Jesus, thank you for this. 
Thank you for the provision in my life. Thank you for a husband, a wife, for a family, for a career, for provision, for being born in America during this time when, oh, Lord, have mercy. I can't imagine living in another era, generation. I'm soft. Y'all, we're soft. I mean, even just the washing machine has made us soft. Running water, heated water has made us soft, okay? Just those things. You go and you live without those for a week, you're like, Jesus, take me to heaven. I mean, I just, I, I just, we didn't just thank you, God, for my washing machine. Thank you, Jesus, for my toilet. All you ladies are like, thanking God, the Lord made the toilet. <laughs> I mean, we have a cabin out in the woods, and there's an outhouse, and when it's zero or ten below, ain't nobody going to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm just saying, all kinds of things getting stopped up. We start thanking God for all the little things in our life, guys. He begins to release his presence. God gives, God loves to just pour out blessing and, and, and favor on those that are thankful. Listen, this is one of the reasons why tithing is so important in the church. It, tithing is an expression of worship and thankfulness. Tithing is actually a thank offering to God. God, thank you for the provision you provided for my life. It's all yours. And the 10% that belongs to you and not to me, this is Malachi 3, I give it back to you as an offering, a thank offering. Thank you. And then he blesses the 90%. If you're not tithing, you are under a curse. And God is holding and with, withholding back the blessing and favor and multiplication that he promises. He promises he'll open up the windows of blessing and pour out everything you need in abundance on your life. But if we don't tithe, guys, we're the, ten, the nine lepers that walked away and didn't come back to thank God for the provision that he had given them. This is a fact. It's why the Bible, Jesus calls, the, the Bible calls it a sin. Is it's, deserve, it's supposed to be on the brazen altar where the forgiveness for all sin is. Come on, man. Offer it up, thank offerings for everything. Don't get tired of thanking God when you're thanking him for your meals and your kids and your home and living in America, even if it's kind of messy right now. Thank God we live here. Greatest nation that's ever existed. More prosperity than ever. And we live in the greatest state. Not just the biggest one, but the greatest one. I mean, how can you get more blessed? I, I walk outside and I'm like, God, the mountains. Thank you. I get to see these. All my friends from Texas, they're like, thank God you moved me from the flat land to the great land. <laughs> and there's the, that's true. I know it is true. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. <clears throat> we finished a parsonage for the nieces over in the give and take. There used to be a give and take. And we put them up on the second level where it's like 360 degree views of mountains in the city. And they're like, they, after we got it all done, they walked in, they're like, you never want us to leave, huh? <laughs> like, that's the plan. <laughs> you wake up every day seeing pink mountains, you're like, sweet Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. 
I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The result of thankfulness is the lack of fear and the evidence of peace. That's what that verse just said. And it happens on the brazen altar in your life. You offer up thankfulness. God, thank you for provision. You provided for me before. You're going to provide again. Even if I experience lack right now, I know you're my provider. So I just thank you, God, for that. I thank you for the provision that's coming to provide. And my lack of faith will not hold me back from being thankful for what you've already given me. And you just slam dunk that on the altar. Boom. Let it burn up. And then your anxiety goes down because you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways you make his name great, right? You lift his name up and he directs your past because of thankfulness. And then he says he'll also pour out peace that passes all your noggins understanding. Your brain can't understand how you can be in peace when there's turmoil. You can be in peace when you can't see what the provision will be. You can be in peace when you don't have the understanding for your kids, your family, your job, your workplace, whatever conflict is going on. God, I'm thankful for your goodness. I'm thankful, God, that you just provide all the understanding that I need to help me understand my wife, my kids, my teenagers, my junior hires. Come on, start thanking God for your junior hires. Jesus, I thank you that their brain shut off and they're growing. (laughs) And I thank you, Lord, you're going to turn it back on. And you're going to grow me in the midst of all that suffering. Come on. And all that blessing. See, when we don't thank, thank him, we miss out on the peace. And we miss out on the blessing and the favor and the goodness of what we have right in front of us. God wants the church, and this is serious, to move from complaining, doubt, and fear, and anxiety to a place of thankfulness. He will not pour out his blessing and his favor on an unthankful church. It's not going to happen. Sin, guilt, dedication, thankfulness all on the brazen altar before him. And then he gave, they gave fellowship offerings, which symbolize fellowship and peace with God through the shedding of his blood. Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Who's it belong to? Just say his name. Jesus. Jesus, it all belongs to you. Come on, let's pray for a second. Jesus, it all belongs to you. You have all the authority, God. 
It was created for you, through you, in you, invisible and visible God. All the powers, rulers, and authorities all bend their knee to the name of Jesus. And we exalt you in this house right now. Verse 17, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And everything, and oh, and he is the head of, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in everything, he might have supremacy. Who's in charge? Jesus, man. He's over it all. Oh, Jesus. I love you, Jared. You're so great. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus, not only do we get the fruit of peace when we walk in thankfulness, but Jesus died to make peace between us and God. And in fact, to build his church. Thankfulness for his church, this offering is about the relationships that Jesus died for. This fellowship offering is about the relationships Jesus died for. It's about his local church, his church, his family, that we're going to worship and be in fellowship with him throughout all eternity. That's what it's all about, folks. In fact, it was so much about that, he wanted it to be one of the main offerings they had to give was a fellowship offering. And that offering Jesus made for us. When he died on the brazen altar, it was a fellowship offering for us. And he fulfilled it so we can eternally and always be in fellowship. And it's why the name of this church now is Unite Church. Is to preserve the unity of the body of Christ, to make it the main focal point. To have unity, you have to have worship. To have unity, you have to have Jesus. To have unity, you have to have humility. You have to walk in repentance. You have to walk in reconciliation. You cannot harbor things against other brothers and sisters in Christ because of the petty things we do. Because of all of our little failures and mistakes and stuff. Listen, all that we have to throw up on the altar of fellowship offering and say, God, you died for all my sin, all my brother's sin, all my sister's sin, all of our stuff. And I thank you that you put me in the church. And I have a real family that you bled and died for. And I get to be in that family not only now, but for all eternity. God, I thank you for that. And I offer myself up as a fellowship offering to the Lord. And you and I have to do this before him. Is offer our lives, when we offer our lives as living sacrifices, it's not just a burnt offering, but it's also a fellowship offering to the Lord. Is that when I become a Christian and I give my life to Jesus, I am no longer an independent orphan. The Bible says I'm now being, been made a son and daughter and I've been placed into a family and Jesus is the head of the church. We just read it right here. And now I have to actually offer my life up to the thing I belong to. What I was bought for, he paid for and I belong to that has paved the way on the mercy seat for me to experience mercy is his church. If you have bitterness towards the church, yep, I get it. I understand it. It's killing you. If you have bitterness towards leaders, especially me, 
It's killing you. I might stink that bad. I, I get it. I'm a human too. I'm just like you, right? But if you harbor bitterness towards me or other leaders or believers in the body of Christ and you complain or gossip and slander and do those things, you are violating the covenant that Jesus bled and died for. It's a fellowship covenant. It's a serious thing to the Lord. Everything Jesus bled and died for was serious to him. If you bled out and you gave up your life for someone or something, that'd be pretty serious to you and the people around you, right? No greater love has anyone ever given up than to give up his life for a friend. And when Jesus gave up his life for fellowship with him and in the body of Christ, it was important to him. He bled for it. That's not cliche. He bled for it and he walked his blood in to the mercy seat and applied it to the mercy seat so we can have fellowship. What needs to go on the brazen altar today, church? What's got to go on that brazen altar for you? Man, what sin needs to go on that brazen altar? More dedication. Come on. What else can you dedicate to the Lord? In your Because he wants all of it. So all of your life, what part of your life have you not given up? If you want all of his glory, you have to give up all of your life. What have you not dedicated to him yet? Just come on, today's the day. Just chuck it in there. Don't wait. Come on, what have you not been thankful for? If you're complaining, you're not thankful. If you're criticizing, you're not thankful. Okay, so you need to get thankful. There's some repentance. Lord, forgive me for complaining against your church, my wife, my spouse, uh, my job, my boss. Come on. Joe Biden. It might have been for you, Donald Trump. Chuck him in there. I don't care who it was. It's Nancy Pelosi. It's a Democrat. It's a Republican, right? It, whatever it is, you're just complaining. The church has been complaining about politics for too long. And I'm one of them. I'm like, okay. I need the presence of God. Lord, forgive me. We, wanna, we need to make a difference. And I think the church is riled up. We're like, hey, we need to do something right. Complaining is not one of the things. Being aware, leaning in, right? So forgive me for any of my complaining and all my complaining that's come across the pulpit, okay? I'm frustrated. Jesus, I just give that to you. Come on, set me free. Set me free. Maybe it's racial tension for you. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe it, it, you're Alaskan Native. You grew up here, and I hear the stories. You might be American Indian, First Nation people of any kind. The way you were treated, treated what was stripped from you, what was told to you was devil and demonic, and it was spiritual abuse over your life. Some forgiveness needs to happen today. Put it in the altar. Don't let that hold you back from what God wants. Maybe you're a woman. And you could be a woman or a man, okay? That's it. One of the two things. If you identify as something else, 
you're confused. You need Jesus to help sort that out. And those feelings are valid, right? Okay, you might be having whacked out weird feelings and stuff going on towards uh, same-sex attraction, whatever. That doesn't make you a different thing than you are. That's just something going on in your life, like all the other things going on in all of our lives, okay? For us to hyper-accentuate this one thing and it creates so much isolation for people rather than love and acceptance and it runs to the mercy seat guys it all runs to the mercy seat the blood runs to the mercy seat but maybe you're a female and you have been treated badly wrongly abused harmed by men in your life whether in the corporate place or in your own home come on it's time to start walking in forgiveness and we're just going to put that stuff up in the altar. We're not going to complain and keep us back from fellowship. Some of you have been hurt so bad, you're like, I'll never love again. That's not God's best for you. Come on, we're going to put that in the altar today. Some of us have been betrayed, harmed, backstabbed, talked bad about everything you can imagine. I bet you nobody in here has been talked about more than me. I would put money on that. <laughs> it's not awesome. It's one of the reasons why so many pastors are so bitter. And the burnout rate for, for pastors because we overload them and expect so much from them. Like you think about, since I've been the senior pastor of this church, it's probably been I don't know, two, 3,000 people that have come through our church. I we haven't really counted, I'm just guessing. And they all have different expectations. We've never been that big at one time, but people are coming and going all the time, right? Thousands of people all have different expectations and have a different opinion about how I ought to be. And I'm like, God just is who I is. Doing the best as I can do. And all those opinions and stuff, that's, that pressure and those expectations weighted on a person can crush a person. And it holds back the favor of God. Because instead of being thankful, we are being crushed and cursed. And we need to start releasing the thankfulness of God. Let's put all that stuff up at the altar. Do it for Jesus. Don't do it for me. I'll be thankful, but come on. Let's, we're all going to be thankful that we could show up in a place where none of us criticize each other. We support love and trust one another and try to build each other up in love, which are what all the gifts of the Holy Spirit do, by the way. None of them point out someone's wrongdoing. There is no gift of, of, of seeing wrongdoing in a person's life. It's not in the Bible. None of the gifts are criticism or seeing the wrongdoing. That's the devil's job. He's the accuser of the brethren and he does it day and night. Do you want to be on his team? Listen, God doesn't bless the devil's activity. So if you're doing it and thinking it's godly, you're deceived and you're bringing curse and really damnation on the fellowship of the church. I know it's getting to be hard, but it needs to shape up. And this is the word of the Lord for our church. It was delivered from a prophetic word last week about the purification of the church. Karen gave that word. And if we don't listen to words like this and, and then do them, we're just those people that are, like the Bible says in Corinthians, we look in the mirror and we see what we ought to see, but then we walk away and we don't change. It's time to change. Come on. Will you close your eyes with me for a minute? If you're here today, 
The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That each one of us have come up short. Oh, but this is how God loved the world. John 3.16. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. That in the midst of all of that sin, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God has sent his son into the world not to judge it but to save it through him. All you have to do is believe on Jesus. You have to run up to the altar and you grab onto the altar and you just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you for the forgiveness of my sin. I need you to be my Lord, my God. I need you to be my Savior. Come on, if that's you here today, you want to reach out to the name of Jesus. You want to reach out to him as your God. You want to give your life to him. Will you stretch your hand up in the air? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.